Montreal Canadiens salvage one win out of their really tough uh, road trip here against the Tampa Bay Lightning of all teams, the defending Stanley Cup champions. Listen, they were on the second half of a back-to-back, but uh, at this point in the season with how depleted the roster is, the Montreal Canadiens are going to take every victory that they can possibly get. All right, I've got two fantastic guests with me today, Lauren Kelly from Sportsnet and EP Rinkside and Scott Matla from Locked On Canadians and Habs Eyes on the Prize. How is everybody doing tonight? I, I, I don't know what to say because that game was so. It's such a stark contrast to what we saw from the Canadians earlier. That it's like every Tampa game this year, even under Ducharme, they play well for a little bit, and then Tampa's just kind of like, oh yeah, we're Tampa Bay, and then they score five goals in the blink of an eye. But it was fun. It was a fun game, even if they lost. That was a fun game, even if to get it to a shootout there. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm about as satisfied as can be after that. Yeah, honestly, that was just a really, really great hockey game. Like that overtime period, just end-to-end chances. The goaltending was phenomenal tonight between Elliott and Allen. Um, obviously, as a Bolts fan, I'm not too pleased with a couple of goals allowed, uh, goals against. But you know what? Give the Habs credit; they were they were great tonight. Yeah, it was it was a really fun game. And th- these two teams this year have not disappointed us once. And for somebody who's watched almost every single Montreal Canadiens game. I can't say that about many, many teams that the Canadians have faced this year. They have been three incredibly entertaining games, three very hard-fought games. And yes, Corey Perry did break Canadians fans' hearts twice, I believe, in the final minute in the first two games between these two teams. But in this one, he wasn't able to do it. I, I think he took a shift and went off right as it went to the final minute. So big mistake by John Cooper there, not having Corey Perry out in the final minute. But... Uh, a really excellent game all around. And I think we kind of, in bringing it to overtime at all, avoided the controversy. Not that it really matters, because listen, the Canadians have had a lot of goals go against them this year. It's a great year to have all the goals go against you. Because <laughs> it's not like they're competing for anything. But still, I'm watching that Sorelli goal, the shorty, and I'm like, but how did they come to that conclusion? Like, the only way it happens is if he pushes Allen in, but it's not goaltender it, interference. Nobody was touching Sorelli. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know anymore with goaltender interference. What are the, I just, I assume at this point, if I think that something happens that literally cannot be allowed to stand because it ruins the integrity of the call in general, it's going to be a goal. It, it was the weirdest thing is because I watched on the replay where they show the angle from where the puck went in and you see a stick hit the pad first and it moves his pad a little bit, which is usually a, a precursor to, yeah, you can't do that. Especially and in the then blue. He, and then he runs into him and then the puck goes in. And then later in the game, the pucks, the net pops off and Allen's just kind of like, well, I don't want to touch it because I already got one penalty for doing something this week. And they just kind of let play keep going in the offensive zone and the nets off. And I'm like, why are they trying to make Jake Allen angry this week? He's like the most mild mannered goalie in the NHL, which is not saying a whole lot given how goalies are. But like this week has been like a personal attack on Jake Allen's well-being. It feels like the poor guy. 
Well, and yeah, the Canadians I, have done their part to uh, overwork and overburden Jake Allen as well. I believe uh, Arpin Basu said this is the sixth straight game where he's had to make, uh, or he's had faced over 40 shots. So poor Jake Allen, just give him a break here. Well, and that wasn't the only play that Sorelli ran him over either. That's and true. There was one like four <laughs> minutes later where it was just like, okay, he's in the crease again. And then the Kucherov chance in the shootout, he ran it out. And like, it was just a yard sale from that crease tonight. Yeah. Everybody was bullying Jake Allen. I don't know if you saw Lauren, but in their last, was it against Carolina that that happened? Yeah, the helmet else. coming off that okay, was so Carolina. It was the last game. He took a shot in the helmet and his strap came off on the back. And it was like 30 or 40 seconds where he's just yelling at the refs, like, stop play, stop play. My helmet, like, I can't see through it. You can see, like, his ears poking out the back of the helmet. And then finally, he just gets frustrated and pulls it off. And they gave him a penalty for it. <laughs> I, he was furious. Like, he's yelling at the ref for like a good two minutes. He had the veins in his neck and in his face. And there are Blues fans in my mentions, like, We've seen Jake Allen like get in fights and we've never seen him this angry before. Even like Martin saying the Wii was mad and it's like, how are you not that it's like your goalie's playing with half of their heads sticking out of the mask. And it's like, I, I, man, just another banner, uh, banner showing for the rule book. Yeah, it's a penalty, but like maybe don't let the goalie get hit in the head a second time when his mask isn't fitted properly. So, <laughs> oh man, poor Jake Allen. <laughs> But I mean, Lauren is right. It was strangely in a game where eight goals were scored in regulation, a bit of a goalie battle tonight. Like both goalies made some spectacular saves. Brian Elliott with the two pad stack, I believe in the first period, like there was a time in in this game where I thought Allen wasn't going to get beat. And then finally the Canadians broke through and gave us something to talk about, but excellent game from the goalies tonight. It was old school. Like we saw, you know, the poke check from Elliot in the shootout. We saw the poke check from Allen in the third, the rolling two pad stack. Like it wasn't pretty all the time, mind you. Like it's not windmill glove saves or, you know, the light. It was old school goaltending tonight, which with a 4 4 score line and just all the nonsense that goes along with that, it makes sense. But as someone who loves goalie poke checks, this, this was my like Christmas. Like the one in the shootout was brilliant. Jake Allen's was great too. I don't know if Sergachev was going to keep up with that puck or not, but Allen to make that play, I don't think Samuel Montembeau, I don't think Andrew Hammond if he was here, and I definitely know Caden Primo if he was still if he was playing in the NHL, isn't going to do that. It's it was a veteran goalie battle tonight, and it showed like guys who have been in the league a while. And I love that. Yeah, it was a goal fest. But at the same time, I don't think either team's going to look at their goal and be like, you're the reason we lost tonight. Like, no, it was it was it was a fun game in net. Maybe not so much on defense, on offense. So, like, I <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating myself, but that's what happens when you have four hours of sleep and a ton of caffeine in your body. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think from like a lightning standpoint, Brian Elliott was the only reason the game was in their favor in the first period. Like the Canadians were just coming down on the rush, you know, firing shots on net. They're, they were making his life difficult. So for him to be able to stand on his head like that, and then obviously, you know, the goals go in off like mistakes from their, his own teammates pretty much. And, you know, he can't stop those. But, you know, the, it was just an incredible game to watch. And I think we don't, we don't see these saves often enough from NHL goalies these days. So it was really cool to see. Yeah, and this is one of those games where this is a Canadians game through and through because it, it almost feels it felt a little bit like a Claude Julian Julian Canadians game, although that probably would have been lower scoring. But you look at the even strength numbers, 
And the Canadians were pretty well in control of the expected goals, of the high danger scoring chances, about even on scoring chances overall. And then you flip it to all on natural stat trick. And the Canadians, when you include their power plays, go from 2.44 expected goals to 2.65. And the Tampa Bay Lightning go from 1.82 to 3.55. So I'm not going to flip that over then. And I'm going to live in my own blissful world where I'm like, they were great if we ignore this, which. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? I think it's it's harder to be better at even strength. Special teams is a coaching thing that you can get out of most rosters if you're like somewhat decent. The Canadians have struggled on special teams for a decade almost. Like the last time they've had they had a good power play. They've had good penalty kills in there, but the last time they had a good power play was like the 2013 shortened season where PK Subban came in off of uh, signing a new contract and was just like, I'm just going to score every game. I'm just going to make everything happen. And him and Markov lit it up. So it's, it's been a while that this has been an issue and the Canadians have been very uncreative in solving it right now. Like they flat out don't have the roster to make a good power play. I don't think because I mean, when you're putting UL army out there, when you're putting Jake Evans in the power play, Paul Byron on the power play, you, you just, that's not it. You know, <laughs> it's not Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman with Braden Point on the bumper. And you're like, who else can play on that power play as the fifth guy? Who cares? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you just stand there and hold the puck in. Maybe if we need you, if it doesn't go in the back of the net. Like, to St. Louis' credit, they tried a five forward power play tonight, which at least they're trying something new instead of, you know, two defensemen or the same thing over and over. They're trying something new. It didn't work, mind you, but they tried it at least. And I got to, in a season where it doesn't matter what you do, you might as well try everything. 100%. If that's what you want to see. Yeah. And like the fact is, yeah, the special teams are bad, but I think that once they get some different coaches in there, which I think is pretty much a guarantee is going to happen this summer, St. Louis is going to get his guys in. Then they can work on that. For right now, it's just they expect to be bad there. It's going to continue to be bad there. Once in a while, Caulfield or Suzuki will shelf one, but it's going to be rough. Well, we can't always have Kucherov and Stamkos and Point and Hedman and Corey Perry and, 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 and. I think Tampa's like second power play unit might be Montreal's first and in a head-to-head contest, but Probably. what are you going to do? But <laughs> whatever. They're supposed to. They're, they're the Tampa Bay Lightning and we're the 32nd place Montreal Canadiens. Apparently, we're going head-to-head with WrestleMania. I didn't even know that. I thought that was... Is it a two-day event now, WrestleMania? Yes, because they learned that doing an eight-hour event that starts at 3.30 in the afternoon and goes until 1 o'clock in the morning uh, makes everyone just want to die by the end of it, and no one cares. And it's just everyone grumpy tweeting the show that, like, this moment would be great if I wasn't so tired. I've been sitting in my chair for eight hours now. Please make it stop. Yeah, that's, there's actually a really good comment here that I forgot about. Galchenyuk's 30-goal season, there was a lot of power play goals. The Canadians actually had something specifically on four-on-three power plays in that season that they figured out that was just incredible. I believe it was... I, I don't remember if Patretti was still there. I think he was still there. But it was like... A trio of, I believe it was Pacioretty, Weber, and Galchenyuk. And for whatever reason, Weber really had chemistry with Galchenyuk on four on threes specifically. And Galchenyuk had like almost all of his power play goals that year were on four on threes. It was really weird. It was either in overtime where they were drawing calls or four on four where they were drawing calls. It was super <laughs> weird, but they were in really good for that stretch. But it was just that one 
setup that was really effective and everything else was still kind of meh for whatever reason. Was that the Radulov season then? I don't know. I'm going to check because I'm trying to think of when I can't remember Galchenyuk's 30 goal season because time has no meaning anymore. So yeah, especially Uh, he's on pace for what was Radulov. Wasn't that the last time the Canadians beat the lightning in regular season play before tonight? I think they mentioned on the broadcast. Yeah, they mentioned that. No, this was even <laughs> this was before Radulov. This was 2015 16. Oh, so wow. this was actually before. I'm not, I'm not even thinking of Weber. This was before that because that was uh, Subban's last year, I think. Yeah, Patrick, so, Gauchenyuk, Plakanet, Subban, Marco. Yeah. Oh, wow. 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 So I'm thinking of 2017 18 when Galchenyuk had nine power play goals and 19 goals. He was a minus 31 that year. Not that we care about plus minus here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Galchenyuk, we all know, is no great shakes defensively. Uh, Somebody's saying it was Markov and AG on the power play. I remember, like, Markov's always great on the power play, but I know Weber was involved in that. Maybe he was just the decoy, but uh, having Weber and Galchenyuk on opposite ends, essentially, as one-timer options is something the Canadians just could never really figure out how to do that further in than the blue line. While, while Weber was here, they're just like, no, just don't ever pinch. Never pinch. We know your skating is not great, so just never pinch. And it was like, just take the risk. Take the risk. It's worth scoring once in a while. But yeah, the, the Canadians' power play is a long-term issue. And, uh, you know, hopefully they work on it on the offseason, but not expected to fix that this year. I think uh, St. Louis focuses rightly elsewhere. And let's, let's talk about... Uh, some of the things that were positive in this game for the Canadians, because I thought that Jordan Harris had a really strong debut tonight. Well, I'm not going to pretend to be a prospect expert. I just play one on TV and on my own podcast from time to time, uh, despite what Laura tells everybody. Uh, He was, I thought he was about as solid as you could expect in this and not, this isn't to take a shot at Justin Barron. I look at their two debuts and Harris seems much more composed with the puck on his stick. Uh, He navigated himself out of some tricky situations. His skating looked good, and he jumped into the play. He didn't feel, I think, rookie nerves. The only thing that you can ding him for is that he didn't know the helmet rule, and because he wears a full face mask in college, he's not going to remember that from muscle memory right off the top of there. And I thought, all things considered, against Tampa Bay, against a good team, Martin St. Louis trusted him, gave him overtime shifts, gave him big shifts against good teams there. And he had a rotating group of defense partners. I think he played with everyone on defense tonight. He played with Schooneman. He played with Edmondson, this and that. And it didn't phase him at all. The kid's just cool under pressure. And it's about all you could hope for outside of scoring a hat trick and shootout winner in your debut. So, yeah, I want to get Lauren's take on specifically like the trio of Baron Schooneman and, uh, and Harris tonight because I feel like they all sh- had their moments to shine in this game and moments of struggle. But before, I just want to say, got to give a shout out to the ref for after he called Harris, he went over to him and he looked like he was apologizing to him. We always give the refs a hard time, justifiably, and in this game too. But I kind of love that it was like this wholesome moment where he's like almost hugging him, like, listen, I'm sorry, kid. I know you didn't know the rule. I know you tried to get off the ice at the last second, but you were just too long. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, I felt so bad for him in that moment because you could see like he he was like, okay, my helmet's off. I got it. I got to defend this rush. And then Hoffman's yelling at him, get off the ice, get off the ice. It was a poor guy. Just, you know, just in the heat of the moment, you just don't realize like the rules are a little bit different in the NHL. But again, I have to agree with Scott. I thought 
Uh, I thought he was great tonight. You know, he didn't try to overcomplicate things. He made simple plays with the puck. I uh, didn't jumped up into the rush, but it wasn't at the expense of, you know, defense. We wasn't making those high risk plays. And I think we saw him bring a lot of the elements to his game that he developed in the NCAA, where he kind of went away from that kind of offensive high risk, high reward defenseman to a more, you know, stay at home, shut down guy with a, uh, uh, more defense first, uh, conservative play, you know, defending the rush really well. I liked a couple of the plays he made with a stick, um, defending uh, one-on-one and in battles. I thought he was really solid. It was a really good first game for him. Um, so I was really impressed by what I saw out of Harris tonight. Um, I don't know if I can say the same about Barron. <laughs> I think there were, he struggled a little bit more in this game than, you know, but obviously, you know, it's still his first few games in the NHL. Things aren't going to be perfect. It's going to be a kind of up and down from here until, you know, maybe even into next season a little bit as, you know, he tr- still is trying to keep up with, you know, the physicality and maybe take maybe delivering a few too many unnecessary cross checks that could have cost his team yeah. or at least put them down on the pa- put them down on the penalty kill. So, uh, you know, it's just going to be, you know, adjustment and learning what plays are necessary and when to kind of make those plays. Um, and I really like Shuneman too, like uh, that the, the goal, obviously a deflection, but, you know, he was jumping up into the play. I uh, kind of, uh, really establishing himself as maybe a potential really strong future on this Canadian's blue line. Yeah, I feel like Schooneman got stronger as the game went on. Like uh, the uh, first period was not his best, and then the second period he he scored the goal, and that kind of seemed to spark him, and he made some really strong plays, especially in the third period. Uh, I really thought that he took uh, took the bull by the horns there as the Lightning were really pressing. It seemed like he was the guy who seemed most comfortable in that situation. And maybe that comes down to experience. He's played the most NHL games of that trio. But yeah, Baron, I, I feel like his underlying numbers are actually really strong tonight. But I think that's just because Joel Edmondson had a really good night. And that's who he was playing with most of the time. There was a moment in this game in the first period where I, I have a, like a little group chat with a couple of my buddies and we were talking about like, I'm really harsh on Alex Romanov or Romanov. I always get it wrong, but there was a moment in the first period near the end of the first period where Romanov had the puck at the offensive blue line inside. Uh, he had control and Caulfield was kind of streaking into the zone at the top of like over the blue line and towards the middle and Tampa Bay had not picked him up yet. And Roma- Romanov is on his strong side he could just push the puck into the middle of the ice and let Caulfield pick it up and go streaking through the middle of the ice and get a scoring chance. But instead he like keeps his head down and spins around and pulls a backhand down the middle or down the, down the boards and turns it over immediately to the Tampa Bay player who was like, he's, he's going to try to rim it around the boards. And I was like, this kind of read from Romanoff is why I'm just not sure about him ever being more than a third pairing defenseman. And I know he's playing a lot of minutes right now, but that's just kind of from necessity. He's like the second most experienced defenseman on the team, which is wild. So it's, I I just, I see that. And then I saw in the third period, Edmondson had almost the exact same situation, except for, I think it was Yoel Armia at coming in on the offensive blue line. And he made the read. And I was like, see, you don't have to be an amazing offensive defenseman. Joel Armia or uh, Joel Edmondson is not, but you have to be able to make that read to like get your way into the top four, if you guys know what I mean. 
I, I think a lot of that with them working on with skills coaches and like you said, a new coaching staff, they just need someone to, I don't want to say simplify his game, but just like take your time. It feels like he rushes a lot of things with the puck because he did Very the reactive. same thing against Carolina where he had time and space and he turned around and flung it right to the opposing team when he had space to make another pass there. And I'm wondering if playing, because he didn't play under Claude Julian. He practiced when he was when Julian was still coach, I believe. And then I just I don't know if it's just fear of getting benched for a turnover or this or that, but he tends to play nervous. And when you can see when he's playing well because he's jumping into the play and he's being aggressive with his reads. And then something goes wrong and he just kind of shells himself a little bit. And he's got the mobility to be effective, but you know, he's got to pick his head up there. And I think working with a coach and working with potentially a more modern defensive coach, I'll do respect to Luke Richardson, uh, will help modernize his game a little bit. We know he can what he can do when he's on his game, but it's really noticeable when Romanov's having a really rough go of it, especially in the defensive zone. Yeah, and I think when you're a player who's not used to the pace of a certain league, when you're trying to make that adjustment, then you tend to rush a lot of your decisions. You know, you try to skate as fast as possible. You try and throw the puck up the ice as, as quick as you can. And maybe you're not taking that time to really process what's going on. And that causes you to kind of make those plays that are like, oh, maybe you shouldn't have done that particular thing. And, and I know this is only Romanov's, I think, second season in the NHL second full season anyways so maybe that's something that maybe comes with a little bit of time um obviously the mistakes are a lot more glaring this year if as you know you said, you said Andrew that he's the second most experienced defenseman on this blue line right so uh, I maybe with a little uh, maybe another season hopefully that changes but you know obviously it'd be something that you would at least hope to see improvement on you know coming into the end of this season Yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like when he has the puck and he's skating with it, he has confidence. But if he's static, especially in the offensive zone, he's like, shoot or dump it. And like, that's the only options that ever really occur to him. And it's one of those situations where you're playing on instinct, but your instincts are just not the best. (laughs) But uh, hopefully Romanov figures it out because... I mean, he's got the frame. He's got certain qualities that I know every coach and GM likes, specifically the fact that he can murder people out of nowhere. But uh, yeah, we had a, we had a couple of comments talking about Baron as well. Uh, 22 Paper Dolls, who's always uh, a loyal viewer, saying that I know it wasn't very smart of Baron for how he went after a bunch of Lightning players in overtime, penalty-wise, but I did find it very funny. <laughs> so I, he was I'm buying into the team spirit of not liking the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> I love that he did that. It's like he saw, I don't know if it was Colton or Hedman who jammed Allen. All I see is Baron just go, but he's like, I'm going to fight three dudes. And I'm like, please don't do that because you're going to be the only one who gets a penalty out of this. And because it's NHL officiating, he can go up and he decked whatever dude was in front of him. And I, I, I'm not a big like, hey, fight guys who touch your goalie and everything, but like, the whole spirit of the Canadians right now is we're actually the scrappy underdog, not like the Bruins think they are, but like the actual scrappy underdog team that fights for it. And Baron's been here, what, a week and a half. And I, I like seeing that kind of thing. It means this team actually like gives a crap, even if they're still terrible. So it's a positive sign, I think. Yeah. If there's one way to endear yourself to your teammate, it's to stand up for your goalie. Right. So it's definitely, I'm sure made a good impression in the locker room. Yeah, and there was a correction here from a couple of people saying that uh, Romanov's actually the third most experienced because 
It's Edmondson and Savard. I keep on forgetting Savard's around. Not that he's been playing poorly or anything. Actually, he's been playing pretty good since coming back from injury. He was just gone for so long, and then Edmondson was gone all season. It's like it's hard to keep track of who's the veterans left on this team. There's been so many injuries and COVID and all that. Every night, like night to night, the only person I know for sure is playing is Suzuki. You know, he he hasn't missed a game so far in his career. Knock on wood. Um. Can we talk about David Savard for a second? Just yeah. because I noticed something hilarious is that when he crosses the blue line into the offensive zone, he turns into Bobby friggin Orr, who has the world's slowest toe drag, but it works every single time. But the minute he steps out of that zone, he just turns into like a fourth and fifth pairing or fourth and fifth like defenseman well, in the NHL. No, the fourth I, and fifth pairing is probably pretty accurate. <laughs> I don't want to be mean to the guy. Like they won. I don't want to be mean, but he gets the offensive zone. He's like, I'm going to do some wicked shit right now, even though he's not known for scoring goals. And it always works. It's like. You know he's going to toe drag and cut to the middle to his backhand and he's going to roof the backhand and then it just keeps working. Like teach that to Alexander Romanov, please. Like, hey, do this. You you can skate faster than I can. Like I I don't understand it. It's the funniest thing to me is that watching him try and back skate to to cover a guy is painful sometimes, but he hits the offensive zone I'm like Oh man, what's he going to do this time? Which is not a thing I expected when they signed David Savard in the offseason. I don't know if it's that he's just so aware of the Lightning's defensive structures or rather defensive structure breakdowns in this game that he can just go right ahead and he anticipates and he knows the system so well because he played in it that he's able to make those plays. Obviously, you guys have watched so many more Habs games this season than I have, but I saw flashes, similar flashes when the Lightning, when he was with the Lightning playing against Columbus. So I wonder if it's just being so familiar with the other team's defensive system that he feels he can just go all Bobby Orr on them. It's <laughs> definitely part of it because every game against the Lightning this year, Savard has been really good and like activated and tried to do stuff. And I don't think he's actually factored into the scoring yet, but like I remember the first game, he came really close. He like missed the net on a, like cutting to the middle out of nowhere. And this game, he if he had just a slightly better hands, slightly quicker hands, he got around Brian Elliott and he just couldn't tuck the puck in as Elliott like, didn't uh, hold the post there in the first period. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, Savard is still David Savard. <laughs> and he, he like he gets almost there. He just needs somebody else to do the finish. Oh, and no. He's defensive Rene Bork. He is defensive <laughs> Rene Bork. Well, hey, you know what? In my opinion, the new Rene Bork, Josh Anderson, actually got one tonight. Scored on one of his his seventy sixth breakaway of the season. <laughs> Finally got one. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Canadians had lots of positives in this game. Frankly, the only real negative is that the special teams are still terrible. And I mean, beating the Tampa Bay Lightning, there's probably a lot of money on the board for this one. I, I wonder how much. Sorry, no, I no can't go ahead. Anderson has only scored 99 career NHL goals. Did that stat shock anybody else? I was like, that's it. He seems to like score so often. Maybe it's just in the playoffs. I don't know. But he didn't score much in the playoffs last year either. He only, I think he scored five and it was like he scored one, two, and two, but they were separated almost equally. He had like two 10 game goalless droughts in the playoffs. He's a really streaky player. And I, I feel like the problem with Josh Anderson is that. He's very much like a, a very one-dimensional player. Like he doesn't pass well enough to play a give-and-go style. 
And because of that, he's limited to like creating his own chances all the time. And even then, his shot is only decent, so he has to create really good chances. And he doesn't cash on too many of them, so it's it's a strange situation. He also doesn't shoot nearly as much as you would expect him to. Like not he's, even three three shots a game overall. So he's a weird. Player. Is he just giant handsome Paul Byron? Like <laughs> no, because Paul Byron scores on like eighteen percent of his shots. Yeah, because uh, he doesn't shoot at all. That's why. Yeah, because <laughs> he only shoots on breakaways or when the goalie's yes. like out of the net. <laughs> It, the weird part about Anderson is that he's got his speed and like his physicality is something like modern teams want. It's just you're waiting for that next evolution there. Either pick up some defensive awareness or, you know, pick up the ability to pass. You know, you can teach someone to pass. I don't know if they're beginning to be able to teach Josh Anderson defensive awareness at this point because he's not aware of the boards at either end of the ice at this point in his career. So like. Um, I like Josh Anderson. I do because I think he has a unique skill set for the Canadians. It's just, can they get a system or concept or whatever that can allow him to be that rocket out of the zone there to hit him in stride to utilize that? Because if you're trying to play a cycle game with Josh Anderson, you might as well just leave the zone because that's not his thing there. You need to get him in stride and they're getting better at it. And I think he's played better under Martin St. Louis because who hasn't, but it's a long-term thing there. He signed for a couple more years with, you know, decent money on there. You got to make the most of that or it becomes a, this puzzle piece doesn't fit what we're building here. Yeah. I, you're right. Like he has such a tantalizing skill set, right? And every team wants something like that. And I do think that even on the cycle, he brings something to like when he's with Suzuki and Caulfield, is he's he can either create space for them by just like bullying through people or he just kind of gets lost while they play, you know, uh, keep away from everybody else. And then out of nowhere, they can find Anderson, who's just behind the checks and like, hey, oh, hey, he was there and he can kind of finish <laughs> off a play here and there. He just hasn't been consistent enough. And I think with all the like the lack of depth that the Canadians have in general, they have, they seem to have find that they can't stack that line. Although I will say as much as like, I know he assisted on Caulfield's goal in the two on O tonight, but I, I don't think I like Rem Pitlick on that line just because his, his defensive play is not great. And you know, Suzuki's taking the tough minutes. He's taking the matchup minutes. Caulfield, I think tries really hard defensively and he's better than people give him credit for, but he's still like, a little guy who's going to get muscled off against top co competition. You need somebody who's a little bit more well-rounded there. And maybe Pitlick wouldn't be there if UL Armia just like didn't disappear against Carolina. But that's that's UL Armia. I, I do wonder where Pitlick fits in this lineup. He feels like that really fun bottom six piece to have, you know, in softer minutes to kind of mop up there a little bit, because like you said, his shooting percentage is, is through the roof. He's not going to score like that forever, but he has skill and pace that makes a modern bottom six effective. Like you see on good teams there, it's not slower, older guys. And I think that that's where his ceiling is at when this team is actually put together properly. And I think Martin St. Louis strategy right now is just, okay, we know these two work, um, this piece, this piece, this, until you just find something that clicks and it might just be Josh Anderson again in the future, but he's, he's, it's like, we talked about with the five forward power play. He's trying things to get 
some kind of answer and see what works going into next. He's basically pre-scouting for next season, it seems. Right. Yeah. I told, I like, there's, I don't think there's an answer to that kind of open wing spot. Like I think you're not going to find another Tyler Toffoli within this Habs organization right now, but you know, this, the rest of this season is all about trial and error, right? See what works, see what doesn't, where do you need to approach the off season? Who do you need to kind of, what roles you need to fill and that sort of thing. So not a bad thing that Pitlick was on the first line tonight. You know, it was a bit of an audition, but I don't know if it was the right fit. Yeah, I wonder if Jesse Alonen, if he was left-handed, would fit there really well. Because I feel like he brings a lot of what you want on that line. His, he, that back check that he had tonight was fantastic. The, the speed which which he picked that up and then to not take a penalty. And hey, knock the net off too so the Lightning couldn't score <laughs> as they recovered <laughs> the puck after it's never a bad thing to cheat a little bit, even though it wasn't on purpose. But yeah, there's a couple comments here. Uh, I liked Pitlick more than Mike Hoffman. I mean, yes. The thing about Rem Pitlick and somebody else saying, I liked Rem Pitlick on that line. He could keep up with them speed-wise and was passing on the give-and-go. It's not offensively that Pitlick is going to hold them back. Like I feel like Pitlick has really good offensive skills, and he has good reads. He knows where to be to create offense. It's that he is a really bad defensive player. Hoffman is also so yes it's probably a better fit than Mike Hoffman and he doesn't do the I'm gonna pass to the neutral zone out of nowhere that Mike Hoffman loves to do in the offensive zone so he probably fits better than Hoffman it's just it's just not an ideal long-term fit and I I think my favorite part about Mike Hoffman tonight in this game and not to dump on a guy where there was a lot of positives but after the uh goalie interference goal is just Hoffman slowly skating by with his stick on the show on his shoulder and just kind of going well all right and then just kind of leaves he just slowly slides out of the frame with his stick on the shoulder I'm like yeah that 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 tracks all things considered so like it's I, I don't know where they fit him in this lineup next year. And that's the he's the only person that I'm like, I don't I don't see a fit. He can't play defense to play on the top line. They don't have another secondary offensive only center on this team right now. And it's just it doesn't it doesn't work in the system Martin saying that we wants to play right now, which seems to value that effort like you know Yessi Alone and had tonight. I want to see, I'd like to see Yelona get a shot further up the lineup. I think he's proved himself in the AHL and the next step should be uh, him playing more than eight and a half minutes at five on five. So I think he's earned that chance at least for towards the end of the season or until he has to go back to the the rocket. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Yelona has been very strong and I I would like to see more of him. And I think we should see more of the, the kids playing as the season drags on because as much as I think Martin St. Louis has come in here with a focus on getting them playing for each other and you want to like win some games, build a positive environment going into next year, you also have to try out the kids. And I think he's been pretty good at that, especially on defense, you know, playing Harris tonight in three on three, second time in a row that he's had a rookie in their first game in the uniform playing on three on three. That's really cool. I don't think any coach that I've seen my whole life in Montreal would have done that. So very interesting that he's pu- pushing that. But, uh, yeah, I thought Yolanda, again, fantastic night tonight. Uh, I want to see more of him. There's probably not too much more to talk about in this specific game. I feel like we've, we've covered it all. But because we have Lauren here, I want to take advantage and ask her a little bit about some Canadians prospects. But before we even get into the Canadians prospects, because Lauren scouts the OHL, we got to talk about Shane Wright, right? Because this is the guy that I think every Canadians fan wants to get 
coming out of this summer more than anything else in the world is get Shane Wright, get that number one overall pick. So Lauren, we've had Mitch Brown, we've had David St. Louis, we've had Tony Ferrari talking about Shane Wright. Tell us about Shane Wright from your point of view, because everybody sees players a little bit differently. Right. And well, I don't know how many Habs fans have gone to Kingston Frontenac's games this season, but there is actually a Shane Wright Habs jersey hanging in the Leon Center this season. And I witnessed it with my own two eyes. So if I, that's not a sign, I don't know what is. But I I don't understand the Shane Wright hate and I don't or the maybe the overrated kind of narrative that's being spoken of him this season from fans. Um, obviously I I'm sure David and Mitch said, said it on the other game stream, but you know, the whole point of, um, Shane Wright's game is not, he's not a Connor Bedard. He's not a McDavid. You know, he's more of a John Tavares. He's his favorite NHL players, Patrice Bergeron. That's the type of style he's going to play. And he's not going to maybe put up as many flashy points as you would expect out of, you know, a traditional CHL first round, first overall pick. But I think, you know, his, um, his intelligence, uh, the way he's, you know, kind of in court, uh, involving his teammates on plays, you know, now that Zade Wisdom is back with the Frontenacs, um, the two of them have, have some great chemistry playing with Martin Romiak. The points are starting to come now for Wright. And I think maybe we didn't uh, place enough importance on how missing last season impacted his development. You know, we just see him, him as this exceptional player. You know, he should be able to take step onto the ice and dominate every game. And, you know, one, that's just not who Shane Wright is, and that's not the game he likes to play or can play. But, you know, he also missed an entire hockey season. You know, we're, we're never going to know how much that really affected him. You know, if he – I don't expect to see him back in the OHL next season at all, but, you know, maybe that's dependent on the team that drafts him and maybe there there's still some things – the team that drafts him expects him to work on, but, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that, you know, Shane Wright is not a first overall worthy of a first overall pick because the production isn't there. And I think the production is there. I mean, he's approaching 90 points this season. Uh, he leads all draft eligible players in the OHL in scoring. And the two teammates who are ahead of him in points this season in the OHL are two or three years older than him. So, you know, at that point in your OHL career, you would expect to dominate the league. So I think the fact that he, Wright is, you know, keeping up, has kept up with, I think he's maybe just outside the top 10 in scoring. I haven't checked in a couple of days, but you know, he's, he's maintained his production all season. He's an incredibly consistent player. And maybe the one fault of it in his game is that sometimes he plays down to his line mates. And so, you know, obviously in junior your game is not as refined or, you know, maybe you're just, you know, your skill set is a little bit lower than some of your other teammates, which isn't an issue normally, but, you know, with right playing down to his line mates, instead of kind of playing up to his strengths, you know, the passes aren't going to connect all the time. You know, his teammates aren't going to find him in the areas that he goes to necessarily because, you know, they may not recognize that there's an opportunity there where he's kind of sees it. So his intelligence, I think, you know, his, it's so far beyond a lot of his peers in the in the OHL. And so I think maybe that's where we kind of see a disconnect as far as the production goes, but everything else, you know, the, the awareness, the defensive game, the, the structure, you know, the maturity level, both on and off the ice. I think, you know, there isn't much more you could ask out of Shane Wright for what he's done this season. It's funny, you know, whenever I talk to somebody about Shane Wright and, and they talk about like, you know, he's not going to put up the production of a normal 
of like a big time first overall player. And they're like, but you know, in it, through his prime, he should be like a consistent, like 70, 75 point forward. And like the Montreal Canadians have had two 70 point forwards in 14 years. I feel like they'd be satisfied with that. <laughs> it's been a long time. The last 80 point forward they had was Alex Kovalev in 2008. <laughs> oh dear God. Time, you know, like they've had Pacioretty who put up tons of goals, but, didn't really have much around him to assist on and also isn't a great playmaker. He was kind of just a different Josh Anderson in that respect. He was not necessarily a one tool player, but offensively he was the shooter only and couldn't even make a short pass. And that's why his power play (laughs) stuff was never that great. But I feel like Shane, Wright, If they drafted him, even if he's not Connor McDavid, he's not Austin Matthews. Canadians are going to be very, very happy, and their fans are going to fall in love with him because, number one, they haven't seen that level of production from anyone in a very long time. And number two, I feel like everything that I've heard about this kid is he brings so many other skill sets to the table in terms of driving play, defensive play, and you know, uh, doing all the little things that make his line mates successful that are going to make him such an effective player in the NHL. And I think a lot of the debate right now is, okay, maybe so, so you say that Wright doesn't deserve to go first overall name a prospect who you think has been better this season that you would draft ahead of Wright at this point. And I don't, I still don't think there is one. And, you know, when I phrase that argument to other people, they are not able to come up with another name. And I think people have thrown around, you know, a player like Logan Cooley's name around a lot, but I still think that there is, you know, maybe this offensive upside ceilings are a little bit different as far as Cooley's is maybe a little bit higher, but I still think, you know, with overall well-roundedness, you know, I don't see why you would pass up on right at first. And, you know, if the Canadians do win the draft lottery, they do select coach first overall, would you expect them to pass on right? Because there was another player with, you know, a higher offensive ceiling who may not be NHL ready next season, that sort of thing. Would you be upset if they did pass on right? And I feel like a lot of Canadians fans would be a little bit angry if they did. I mean, yeah. I can't speak for everybody, but like, unless you're getting a can't miss package for the first overall pick, uh, you you take Shane Wright and you just walk away from the podium very happy that you drafted Shane Wright first overall after you fired the entire previous management and coaching staff and got to start fresh with someone like that. It, but that's just me who's deeply scarred from the first 75% of this Montreal Canadian season. Yeah, it's been rough, Scott. It's been rough. I know you have to talk about it five times a week. I only have to talk about it three or four times a week. We we, we five. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot. All right. Uh, I do want to ask Lauren about uh, the Canadians OHL prospects, but here's the thing. They don't draft from the Ontario <laughs> Hockey League very often. So there's really only one player who sticks out as someone who, frankly, we haven't talked a lot about on Game Over Montreal this year, but was a relatively high draft pick a couple years ago, and that's Jan Misak, and he's putting up right now, uh, he's got 31 goals in 55 games, 58 points in the Ontario Hockey League. After playing last year, he played 22 games in the American Hockey League while the OHL was uh, not playing due to COVID. Lauren, uh, what's your take on Jan Misak if you have one? Okay, that, that's actually not the name I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say Arbor Jacki, but yes, they play on the same team now, so it's easy to watch them both. 
Uh, <laughs> no, I think Nishak's uh, development is coming along great. I mean, he's, you know, putting up the points. Um, he's the Bulldogs are probably the, my bet to come out of the OHL as far as the Memorial Cup goes. So, you know, at least if anything, he's probably poised for a very long playoff run this this spring kind of summer period. But I really liked what I've seen from Meshack. Obviously, I haven't watched a lot of Hamilton this season just because as far as draft eligible prospects go, they don't have a lot of them. So uh, it's mostly just highlights that I'm catching. But what from what I've seen, I, I've really liked uh, his game. I've liked how he's, you know, it seemed to take a step forward as far as offense goes. Um, you know, obviously I haven't seen enough to kind of make a statement, a definitive one on his defensive side of things. So I'm going to stay away from that, but yeah, I've liked, I've liked what I've seen from Meshack this season. That's good. I mean, the Canadians need some of these like mid tier to like C tier prospects to hit, right? They, they need that in order to build something special going forward. Cause you can't just rely on the players that uh, Hughes and Gordon picks. Cause then you're waiting five, six years before you actually start getting players breaking into the NHL. Um, there was a comment here uh, on, on Joshua Waugh, who we talked about a lot on the last episode of Game Over because David St. Louis is like uh, intimately familiar with Waugh. He's scouted him a lot. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch him at all this year, Lauren, because I know you're more uh, Ontario Hockey League. But for those who missed that show, I'll relay what David said. Essentially that Waugh has an issue it's common to a lot of junior players in that he's like too skilled and he's able to basically shoot from anywhere and score goals. So he carries the puck a lot himself and doesn't really use his teammates very well. So a lot of his assists are off of rebounds or, you know, shots that get blocked and then another player scores. And he's not really, he doesn't really play that like give and go game that makes uh, Suzuki and Caulfield so excellent at the NHL level. So he needs to work on that, but also his skating is an issue. So if you're not able to play the give-and-go game quickly and also your skating is holding you back, that's like two things that working together make it kind of difficult for him to translate his skill to the NHL, especially when, like, if you're the guy who likes to hold on to the puck all the time, but you're going to be slower than everyone else and, like, less agile than everyone else and have a skating stride that, like, people can pick up and chase you down... It doesn't necessarily work. So I think Wah is a player that they need to focus on heavily in development and try to get the most out of him because he clearly is so skilled. But it's more of a long-term project than it might look for a guy who's putting up sick numbers in junior. That vibe right. of what you've seen as well, Lauren? Right, yeah. And I think I would agree with all of that. I think, you know, as far as getting a clearer picture on what was development might look like as far as him probably making the halves is, you know, how he's going to look in the AHL. Is he still going to be holding onto the puck all the time and trying to make all these crazy individual plays? Or is he going to start relying on the teammates that are older and more experienced and know how to produce in the, in the AHL? Um, and, you know, as far as the, the skating goes, you know, the, the, or the queue is, you know, significant, the NHL is significantly faster than the Q, but the AHL is also faster than the Q. So I think it's going to be important for him to spend some time in Laval and, you know, try and develop the pro game, you know, learn to rely on his teammates more instead of trying to do everything himself. And, you know, that'll be where we get a clearer picture of whether or not he can take that next step into the NHL. I think it would be very beneficial for him to spend some time in the AHL first though. Yeah, we got a couple comments saying that the uh, new Canadian skills coach Adam Nicholas is going to have a field day with him. 
and another that's why you have adam nicholas that is something that david brought up on the show as well is that adam nicholas is a guy who is very focused on improving like the overall game and one of his main focuses is improving like hockey sense so that's something that's going to be a big responsibility for him next year i would assume that that's going to be a huge part of what he does next year in Laval is uh, working on Joshua Wall because when you have a guy who can score like that, who can put up points like that, you want to make sure that that guy translates his skill to the NHL. You can't do what the last administration did, which is essentially sink or swim. If you're good enough, you'll prove it to us. That's just such a waste. And we've seen too many really strong prospects go through the Montreal Canadiens and go nowhere. They weren't developed. Yeah, and I think that's really, really a strong mindset to have in, you know, in your with your farm team is that, you know, your junior hockey tendencies, you know, they're going to be a part of your game and you've got to kind of learn how to adapt to professional hockey because it's a different beast. So to have someone down there in with the farm team to be able to kind of not necessarily coach those tendencies out, but kind of refine them to be more adaptable, to be more translatable to professional hockey, I think is really, really beneficial for this team. Absolutely. Uh, there's, let's see, uh, Wall could end up playing in Laval this year if Sherbrooke's, Sherbrooke's uh, playoff run ends early. That's true. Yeah, and Laval is headed to the playoffs. That's going to be a big thing. I think a lot of people are going to be paying attention to the Laval's playoffs this year, right? Do not jinx this for down. me, Berkshire. Do not jinx this for me. The <laughs> AHL North is like this. I, I need this. It's they're like they're losing three nothing in Abbotsford right now because oh, no. that team's stacked. But thirteen of their final fifteen games are against the North Division, and uh, Jean Francois Houle could definitely use a player like Joshua Wah um, very badly right now because they're still light on talent. His most skilled player is in the NHL with Jesse Alonen. Obviously, uh, Justin Barron and Corey Schooneman are playing in on defense right now, but. Um, I think Wah is someone that could come in the lineup and replace the other Wah who is currently in the lineup because you you see what you got. And I look at a lot of the guys here and I look at someone like Rafael Harvey Pinard, who wasn't a a superstar. Yeah, he put up good points, but he was an overager who has evolved his game to become a more complete AHL player. And I'm hoping that with this coaching staff in place and with Adam Nicholas and a focus on prospect development, someone like Joshua Wah can thrive in that same role as well when he uh gets i believe he has to go he's nhl or chl next year and then he can play in the ahl after that i'm not sure when his birthday falls though um but he's someone that i think people are going to be paying a lot of attention to him and riley kidney coming out of the queue this year a riley kidney of the uh, most amazing goal of the year <laughs> oh that poor goalie's never going to live that down just off the face off and it just slowly slowly trickles in off the face off i i legitimately thought it was going to be something amazing and then i realized i should know better i've spent too much time on twitter to know that's going to be true i mean it could be worse martin broder did that martin broder did that in the stanley cup final nobody yeah. remembers because he won the cup but i mean i remember because i like making fun of martin broder but uh that's uh, that's for another podcast that's for another show where we have more time to dissect why i like to make fun of martin broder but all right. Uh, anything else that you guys wanted to bring? I feel like maybe since Lauren's here, we should take advantage and ask uh, if there's any other major prospects in the Ontario Hockey League. The Canadians should be keeping an eye on for like their second first round pick that uh, I believe is 
this year is it it's not the florida one this year that's 2023 it'll be the calgary one uh unless it gets deferred and then it is a 2023 as well if they i can't remember what the conditions are on that but it could become a 2023 first overall pick but i don't think that's gonna end up being the case well i don't think uh if it's top 10 protected i just don't i don't think the calgary flames are gonna drop to the bottom 10 in the league this year (laughs) yeah i think it sounds like it's gonna be a late round pick uh so as far as the ohl goes there is a lot of confusing and uh, for draft eligible forwards in the OHL this year that pro- could go anywhere from the second half of the first round to the fourth round. Oh, and wow. because everybody lost a year of development, it is impossible right now to figure out, you know, who's legit and who is having an off year because they miss a year of development and they could turn it on next year or who's just really not good. And <laughs> uh, I think if the Canadians are drafting they're using their second first round pick in the latter half of the first round. I think there is no OHL player I've pumped tires more on than Owen Beck this season in Mississauga. I just think he's everything that you would uh, want as a, you know, not necessarily first line center. Second line center is, I don't think is out of the question. Third line center, the, the tendencies of his game are, you know, I think easily translatable to the pro levels where I think, you know, you, take Joshua Waugh and, you know, his skill set is there, but you don't know if it'll translate. You don't know if his game, his style will translate. Whereas I think Owen Beck, maybe the ceiling, the offensive ceiling is a little bit lower, but I am confident that these skills will translate. You know, he's finishing his routes. He's a great four checker, really good defensive awareness, strong on the face-off circle. I think he was leading the OHL in face-off wins this season at one point as a rookie, which is just unheard of. Uh, you know, the production is not there because again, same issue kind of with right is like the, the teammates are not kind of he's processing the game at a much higher level or a much quicker pace than his teammates are, which is why, you know, he's seeing plays develop and lanes open and maybe his teammates aren't aren't picking up on those same things. Right. So I think this is a player who's incredibly well-rounded. You know, I think it's rare to see a prospect at the, a 17 year old prospect whose defensive game is so strong especially in a OHL rookie season. So yeah, this is the guy I'm going to bat for every day for the rest of the rest of the season until the draft. Yeah. I've seen you throwing out a lot of Owen Beck love on the timeline. He's definitely a guy that I've got my eye on now as well, because you're that strong on him says something. All right. uh, I think that's all we really have for you today because everybody's got some work. It's a Saturday night. You want to have fun as well. So uh, thank you, Lauren, and thank you, Scott, for joining me here on the show. It's an absolute pleasure to speak with you both. Before we close out, uh, first Lauren and then Scott, tell everybody where to find your work. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I, th- I think Andrew mentioned I'm at Sportsnet, but uh, that, that kind of recently changed a couple of days ago. But uh, you can Sorry. find me at Elite Prospects. <laughs> full-time now which is very exciting um yeah Annie, i should be writing a little bit more for ep ringside and that sort of thing so congrats on full-time uh yes, as thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sorry um as for myself you can follow me on twitter at scott matla uh, i might do a five-day a week show with my awesome co-host the active stick laura sabat locked on canadians uh we're on youtube twitter wherever you get your podcasts and you can find uh, any of my day-to-day work, AHL stuff all over at Habs Eyes on the Prize, where I've been doing that. That's how I know Andrew. So it's been it's been quite a ride. So uh, tune in for that. And as always, thank you, Andrew, for having me on. My pleasure to both of you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. It was a fun game. 
We're going to be back at you again. Let's see, when's the next game? Tuesday. Tuesday against the Ottawa Senators. I believe the Canadians are undefeated against the Ottawa Senators this year, so maybe two straight wins again for the Canadians. It's been a while. Let's 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 see if they can do it. <laughs> Pull themselves out of the last overall. I think they're actually out of the last overall as of this game. I think as much as you want Shane Wright, winning a little bit down the stretch is going to matter a lot for the young kids on this. You want to have no situation where they're as hopeless as they were under Ducharme because that just it just wasn't fun. Everybody hated it. It was, it was a really sad time. And also, I want to see some entertaining hockey. I have to talk about it every game. All right, we'll.